Section 14 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Estenson. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter 14. I Will Be True Forever. Despite all the love eagerly made by Earl and readily accepted by Doris, there was no formal engagement. A hundred times the decisive words trembled on the lips of the poet-lover, and he chided himself that they were not uttered. But then, if she said no, what lot would be his? As for Doris not being prepared to say yes, she deferred decision, and checked Earl on the verge of a finality, for she was not ready to dismiss her suitor, if he fled from Breckenside, what pleasure would be left in life? She had soon ceased her efforts to flirt with Gregory Leslie. He regarded her with the eye of an artist. What of his feeling that was not artistic was paternal. At first she had hoped that an opening might be made for her to city life. She had wild dreams that he could get an engagement for her as an actress or concert singer, where wonderful beauty would make up for lack of training. She built wild castles in the air about titled ladies who would take her for an adopted daughter or as a companion. But Gregory Leslie was the last man to tempt a lovely, heedless young girl to the vortex of city life. She told him one day of some of her longings and distastes, she hated the farm, the country. She wanted the glory of the city, dress, theaters, operas, promenades. Can't you tell me how to get what I want? Child, said Gregory, you would be weary of it and long for peace. You have a devoted young lover who offers you a comfortable home at Lindenholm. To live with my mother-in-law, sneered Doris, an admirable woman. I have met her. It would be just this dullness repeated all my life, said Doris, tearful and pouting. It would be love, comfort, safety, goodness. Besides, this young Moray is one of our coming men. He has native power. I am much mistaken if he does not make a name, fame, place, fortune. Do you suppose he will one day go to London and be great? Yes, I do. I would like that. A poet's lovely home where learned people and musical wonders and famous actors and artists like you, Mr. Leslie, come and we have flowers and pictures and song and gaiety. It is pleasant. Well come by. You might have it all, as Mr. Moray's wife, if at first you waited patiently. Earl took new value in this ambitious girl's eyes. Meanwhile, warned by the experience with Leslie, which might have turned out so differently had Leslie played lover and offered London life to Doris, Earl resolved to press his suit and urge early marriage. He must have some way of holding fast the fair coquette. 
To him, the marriage tie was invulnerable. Once his wife, he fancied she would be ever true. Yes, once betrothed, he believed that she would be true as steel. So one fine September morning, when Leslie's picture was nearly finished, Earl came up to the farm, resolved to be silent no longer. He met Mattie first. He took her hand. Mattie, dear sister friend, today I mean to ask Doris to be my wife. Wish me success. Mattie's heart died within her, but the true eyes did not quail, as she said, I hope she will consent, for I know you love her. Heaven send you all good gifts. If she does not take me, my life will be spoiled, cried Earl passionately. Hush, said Mattie. No man has a right to say such a word. No one should ever throw away all good that heaven has given him because of one good withheld. Does she love me? Tell me. I do not know. There's no way but to ask her. They heard a gay voice singing through the garden. In came Doris, her arms laden with lavender flowers cut for drying. She came and filled the room with light. You hear, Earl, cried Doris. Come up to the coppice nutting with me. The hazel bushes are full. She held out her hand, frank and natural as a child, and away they went together. Doris was fantastic as a butterfly that day. She danced on before Earl. She lingered till he overtook her, and before he could say two words, was off again. Then she sang gay snatches of a song. She noted his anxious, grave face, and setting her saucy little head on one side, trilled forth. Prithee, why so pale, fond lover? Pithy, why so pale? For if looking well won't move her, looking ill must fail. Finally at a mossy seat under an oak tree, he made a dash, caught her, drew her to his side, and cried, Doris, be quiet and hear me. You shall hear me. I have something to tell you, something important. Bless us, cried Doris, in pretended terror. Is it going to rain? Are you going to tell me something dreadful about the weather? And I have a set of new ribbons on. Dear Doris, it's not about the weather. It is an old, old story. Don't tell it. By any means, I hate old things. But this is very beautiful to me. So beautiful, I must tell it. If you are so distracted about it after the fashion of the ancient mariner and his tale, I know you have told it to at least a half-dozen other girls. Never, cried Earl, never once. It is the story of my love, and I never loved anyone but you. You have the advantage of me, said Doris with a charming air. It seems you have loved once. I never loved. Doris, Doris, don't say that, cried Earl in agony. Not? Why? How many experiences should I have had at my age? 
demanded Doris, with infantile archness. "'Yes, you are a child, a sweet, innocent child. But love me, Doris, love me, and be my wife. You know I adore you. Do not drive me to despair. I cannot live without you. Will you be my wife?' Doris looked thoughtfully at Earl. From her eyes, her face, one would have said that she was realizing for the first time the great problem of love, that love was dawning in her young soul as she listened to Earl's pleading. But in her heart she was telling herself that this play of love would give a new zest to her life at the farm would add a little excitement to the daily dullness, that even if she promised, she need not be bound if anything better came in her way. Earl Moray might be the best husband she could find. What was it Mr. Leslie had said about him? Earl, unconscious of this dark abyss in his idiot soul, sat watching the wide violet eyes, the gently parted lips the pink flush growing like the morning on her rounded cheek. He put his arm gently about her. Doris, answer me. Can't I wait an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year? No, a thousand times no. Suspense would kill me. Why, I wouldn't die so easy as that. Doris, Answer me. Say yes. Yes, Dora said placidly. Earl caught her in his arms and kissed her feverently. Is that the way you mean to act? Laughed Dora, sweet and low. Why did you tell me to say yes and get my hair rumpled and my dress all crushed up that way? You're mine. My own Doris. Tell me no one else shall ever make love to you or kiss you. You will never be another's. Of course not, said Doris with delicious assurance. You will be true to me forever. Yes, I will be true forever, said Doris. If she played at love-making, she would play her part perfectly, let come what would afterward. "'And you will marry me? "'When will you marry me?' urged this impetuous young lover. "'How can I tell? "'This is all very pleasant being lovers, "'and then you must ask the people at the farm,' "'she spoke with reluctance. "'It always irritated her to call the honest Brace family "'parents, sister. "'I can't be married till they say so, "'and there's your mother.' They will all agree to what will make us happy. And will you agree to what will make me happy? Yes, my darling, with all my heart and soul. Then you must build up fame and get money and go to London to live, for I do not love this country life. Only think to live in London among the literati and the noted people. We will surely do that, Earl. End of chapter 14